Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We're today with Anthony Maluski, who's the CEO of Conic Metals, but we're not going to talk about Conic Metals today. You're going to tell us about the world of nickel. I will, but by the way, I'm the chairman. You're I'm the chairman. chairman? I'm the chairman. You're promoted? Not executive chairman. Really? <laughs> they didn't want you doing too much. Oh, uh, yeah, you don't want to cause any trouble. Okay, well, good. Um, First question, and please don't blame the uh, coronavirus for this one. It's definitely the coronavirus' <laughs> fault. That, that's I, literally all I heard last week. For everything that went wrong in a company, it was the coronavirus, even though it's been going only a month and the share price, their share price has been dropping for weeks. <laughs> but you're not going to do that. Indonesia, nickel ore production fell uh, significantly um, last year. Why? Yeah, I think there's probably there's a couple reasons. Right. I think one reason is like nickel prices are just off. I mean, I think that's part right. of it. But but there are other reasons. You know, um, there was a ban instituted in Indonesia where you had to ship mm. a refined product. So you know, depending on what smelters are paying, depending on the logistics of those smelters, mm. um, you know, certain producers could sort of be shut out of that market because they can't ship direct anymore. Right. So I think it's a combination of nickel price. And just the factors around, you know, the nickel, the nickel um, export. Right. And you said the nickel prices dropped, and I think we talked about this previously in other interviews. But what's your rationale for that? Why do Why do you think that's happened? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, even as much as you know, we want to talk about future demand for electric vehicles, it's yeah. driven by stainless steel, right? That, that's really the driver of the market. Now, last year we saw a big drawdown in LME inventories, mm-hmm. uh, and you know we think that that was um, probably hedging and, and forward buying. Mm-hmm. But you know, notwithstanding that, uh, if you look at the last month, LME inventories are kind of right back up there. Yeah. And with the coronavirus and just kind of a decrease in, in stainless steel demand, right? Uh, with nickel having tapered off a little bit, you know, it makes sense that production for for a marginal producer would be down. Right, obviously you're a royalty and streaming company. We're going to talk a little bit about Conic, I guess. You're a royalty and streaming company. You've you've made some big bets on nickel. You still believe that the mark is holding true. You did say last time we spoke, it's probably a couple of years out in reality, which I think was a nice reality check for for the market. Uh, Made people stop and think, because everyone gets very excited about these things. So your your view on the numbers hasn't changed? No, I mean, look, if you look at cobalt, if you look at lithium, uh, you know, you have these false dawns where um, everyone gets excited about the adoption of electric vehicles, which is mm. real, and I'm a huge proponent of. But I think in certain cases, that market can you know really move. You have a sell-off, then you have reality set in, and then mm. you know you can actually have that real move. And what we've seen with nickel, we didn't see that extreme move that we saw in both cobalt and lithium. Mm-hmm. We did see a move, and I think the reason, by the way, for that is that you know. Stainless steel drives the nickel market, whereas in cobalt and lithium, small incremental demand can really change the dynamics of the market. So stainless steel, in a way, is a more robust market, and so it's harder to really jam it up on the idea of some future demand. Yeah. And so we did see a bump, but I think now what you're really going to have to see is is a higher price to kind of bring back in more speculators and interest. Timing for that? You know, it's it's impossible to say, and I, I do think um, what's happened in rhodium and you know, palladium recently is kind of interesting and potentially telling. Mm. And, and that is to say both of those markets had you know, people out there for five, six, seven, eight years talking about the pending, yeah. you know, the, the doom and gloom scenario, we're going to yeah. run out. Yeah. And actually, as it turns out, you know, they're right. I just read this article this morning about 
people stealing catalytic converters yeah. for the race like, you know, like yeah. in London. So they turned out to be right. And, and where I'm going with that is what's interesting with, with nickel and, and some of these other metals is, you know, if we don't get investment mm-hmm. into projects, you know, bringing more supply on in the future, that chart ultimately will start to look like a palladium or rhodium chart. And I think that's not healthy for, for a commodity, yeah. but it's a reality when it takes, you know, years to bring additional supply online. Right. Okay. Now, Something. This probably was the coronavirus, but you, you promised to write me an article <laughs> some weeks ago. It's coming. I, I've got half of it here, so we're going to talk about that half of it. The good half, right? It hasn't been written yet. Right. Okay. Uh, and just just for everyone at home, th- this article is really to talk about um, being able to pick winners and losers in the space, because you know, in, in in all commodities, there are companies which are going to make it, and other companies perhaps will will struggle a bit. And we don't want to waste anyone's time, you know, talking about companies which perhaps are going to struggle for whatever reason. So we're going to talk about some of those headlines for nickel, yeah, for nickel. Okay, they kind of apply to all commodities in a way. Some of them, well, but nickel, nickel is unique though, and really interesting. And I'll tell you yeah. why: because nickel, unlike gold, you, you could get a gold CEO in here who would potentially have a project that would mm. need under $100 million of CapEx for production. Like that, right. that's right. possible. Right. You know, nickel is very, very capital intensive. In fact, I would argue that nickel is possibly the biggest destroyer value over 20 years with the HPAL projects. Right. Projects like Goro ended up costing $8 billion, right. meant to be a couple, and Badabi, you know, five, Ravens. Okay, five here, here's one, I got one. So we've had a bit of a debate online, okay? Because okay. we, we got a quote from obviously someone you know, Mark, Mark Selby, saying you can't build a HPAL project for under a billion. Bucks. We've got a aimlessly company management team CEO saying that's not true. We've got some new Chinese technology coming through, and HPAL will be able to be delivered for much less than that. Are you a buyer of that? Um, what is this new technology? Yeah. So, so here, here's what I would say. I think you're talking about two separate things. If you're talking okay. about a brand new standalone project, mm-hmm. like. I'm unaware of a single instance where someone's done that for hundred billion dollars today. I, when, when they're not relying on infrastructure, when when it's a new project sitting in the middle of the jungle, wherever it is, like mm-hmm. I think that's not happening anytime soon. Right. However, if you're talking about specifically about some of the stuff the Chinese are doing with HPAL in Indonesia, that's totally different because what they're doing is they're tacking on a billion dollars onto seven billion dollars of infrastructure. So, right. so that's that's so this, this is a kind okay, of Okay, so there's an infrastructure marriages. component with the, the plant processing exactly. plant so, completed. So, so like, so are, can are, you build a plant on top of a, a resource for a billion bucks? Okay, can you build a plant on top of an existing producing mine in Indonesia where the yeah. Chinese have already spent seven billion dollars? You're yes. gonna say yes. yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so can you go from seven billion to eight billion? Yes. Greenfield site? I, I would be, hard pressed to think of a single example in the world where you could do that. Okay. I just don't, and, and by the way, this is important about investing. So, you know, I think when you're looking at nickel names, I think you have to ask yourself, like, what is really fundamentally the process? Like, not like, are we sugarcoating it? Mm. Is it HPAL? And if it's HPAL, the answer is this is an HPAL project. Mm. I think you have to think it's going to be in the billions of dollars. Right. Right. And so, you know, if you're, Thinking about a speculative play, is this a big ore body? Will it go up when nickel moves? The answer might be yes. But if you're thinking, will this be a mine? I think the answer is going to be most likely not. So how would a company get a feasibility study done by an independent contractor to tell you it's going to cost less than that for a HBAL project? Well, I, I can't speak to any specific situation, but I think just generally, like, look at Namaska. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, 
they're in receivership now. Yeah. And they had, I think, no less than four of the top, you know, contracting firms working on that project mm -hmm. or consultants, I should say, contracting firms. Mm -hmm. You know, they missed it by, what, half a billion dollars? So, so I think it happens. I think is yeah. the answer it happens. And, you know, I can't speak to why one person will miss it or another person will miss it. But HPAL, one of the things to remember about HPAL is, you know, the tailings yeah. um, really should be in an environment, especially like if, if it's tailings sitting behind a tailings dam, need to be in an environment where you evaporate more water mm -hmm. than rains in a year. And so if you're in, if you're in a place or yeah. a situation where you like have torrential downpours, and you're not going to evaporate like you just have a real problem with tailings right and in a world in a post valley world uh, i think globally regulators are thinking about tailings so so to step back from all that and talk about just investing in nickel yeah i think you need to think about is this a sulfide or is this a laterite right uh because at least you know like in dumont is an example in canada mm -hmm. uh you know potentially in turn again someday you know th those projects um the processing is very simple and straightforward like yep. everyone knows how to do that you can come up with a number that's real. It might be $1.5 billion for Dumont. I don't, I don't know what that number is going to be, but that's the number. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go into some of the Australian um, HPAL processes uh, or elsewhere in the world, frankly, you know, you don't know how long is a piece of string. And so now you, that doesn't mean you shouldn't necessarily own those names because, mm -hmm. you know, when the nickel tape happens, any big resource will go up because it's just the case that that, that will be true. Mm -hmm. And so you can own a basket. But specifically, you need to trade those names because yeah. if you look through the cycle, it's yeah. hard to see after Mbadavi, after Ravensworth, after Goro, it's hard to see that anyone is going to build a greenfield HPAL project. Right. Different than brownfield expansion, yeah. tagging onto an existing project, but a greenfield project is like pretty unlikely in my view. Okay, so let's let's stay away from, let's veer away from that the HPAL at the moment and, and come back to investing because you gave some clues about the sorts of things people should look for so first of all we should probably identify the type of investors who would invest in nickel because this is this is not an overnight day trading scenario or even get out in the next six months or so you, you if you're coming in now and I, I guess you would advocate getting in now or would you well I would say if, if what do you think the average amount of money your investor has to invest? Do you think $5,000, $10,000? Don't know. There's, there's all sorts okay, in well, there. There's so me, many of them. But well, let's, average let's, is difficult. Okay, well, let's just say you have a dollar to invest in nickel. I, I don't think I would just go buy a dollar worth of nickel equity today, right? Mm. Like, I think you want to cost average in over time. Mm -hmm. But but certainly, you know, what we saw in rhodium and palladium you know, and, and a lot of other commodities is they can move really quickly. And so yeah. if you actually do subscribe to this, this notion that EV adoption is generating new demand that's going to impact the price of nickel, like if you mm -hmm. subscribe to that, that notion, mm -hmm. uh, that investment thesis, then I think you over time want to average in to these nickel names. I wouldn't go boss spend all my nickel allocation today. Today, okay. Especially in the face, by the way, of a lot of uncertainty around coronavirus. Absolutely, okay. Uh, but, but I would think that over time you would want to leg into it. Okay. I, th I think that's fair, and again, reasonable. Yeah. Um, like I say, you know, there's a lot of people come and talk to us and tell us how much of their commodity they're going to put into a battery, and the EV revolution is going to change their company literally overnight. You need to buy now, and I just think sometimes for some companies, well, for a lot of companies, that's not true. They're so far away, so far removed from the EV chain. Well, timing is tough. Like, look at lithium. Right. You know, lithium Always. has moved. I mean, some of these names, they move overnight. You know, Lithium Americas. I mean, just on a rocket ship lately, they announced mm. this deal 
uh, which effectively takes away the operatorship. They get money in. Yeah. Now it's going to be built. So this thing goes on a rocket ship. But you can't. So I would just say as an investor, yeah, it's hard to predict. So one of the things I would consider, I guess, uh, when I look at some of these names is, is making sure to own some names that don't require capital raises. Because right. if between now and that move, mm. you know, it's two years, let's just say. Yeah. If you look into that balance sheet and you can see that they're going to need two capital raises, well, just just wait and and, yeah. and go in on the capital raise. So yeah. I think you know, in particular for the juniors, this is relevant because, like, from my perspective, if you're going to invest in nickel, mm. like, you know, let's own a basket of names. Yeah. So own Spread independent own independence group, right? And this is a this is an adult company. It's producing nickel, and it's hard to foresee that they're going to raise capital. Now you're not going to get as much torque as you would in like a giga with Turnigan, right? Right. But at the, at the same time, it's a much safer right. safer bet. So I think you have to have like a range of these names. Right, okay. And that's just nickel we're talking about. Yeah. Obviously, people have got lots of options, not just mining, but not just nickel, the commodity, but lots of options within mining and outside of mining. Oh, for sure. And portfolio approach is, I think, what most sensible people would, would advocate. So I buy that. Let's come back to some of the specific things that you've started writing about. <laughs> started writing we'll about. We'll get that. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of things that you look for. Okay, the first thing we talk about is the exchange. You, yeah. talk, you talked about, right, you've got to work out which exchanges you're comfortable being on. Why? Well, if you look at different commodities, do better in, on different exchanges, right? Okay. So, for instance, is that true and, from nickel? Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, and then like it's actually nickel does better on the ASX. If, if we're being honest, a, the ASX, okay. and the reason is, is the retail investors in Australia understand nickel. Mm -hmm. There is a larger number of nickel publicly traded companies for nickel, mm -hmm. and so I, I would say, you know, depending on where the asset is, that makes more sense. Now, for gold. Canadian and North American producers do better, generally speaking, on the TSX. Yeah. Australian producers do better. Another always exceptions on the ASX. So I think understanding um, comps for that exchange is important because mm. you know if you have peers which look sort of similar, that means you're going to have research coverage. It also means you're going to have like a general body of knowledge among retail and institutional investors, mm -hmm. and so it'll be easier for them to get up the curve and potentially invest in in the name that you're looking at. So, right. So, you know, it is it is always uh, important to think about, you know, the peer groups. Now, in a bull market, of course, like probably it doesn't matter as much. Mm. But in a market like this, you know, I think you can actually have a quite a bit of uh, upward support in these names when you're on the right exchange. Okay. Okay. So that's that's interesting to me. But like, I'll give you a data point. Just not, yeah, not a plug, but conic metals, right? right. The, the primary asset in conic metals is... Uh, is the Ramu nickel yep. joint venture. We discussed. So, yeah, so that joint venture, assets looking almost exactly as Conic does today. Yeah. Not quite as good because there's more in Conic. Trading on the ASX was trading at kind of 100, 110 million market cap. Today on the TSX, it trades at 30 million. So there's a bunch mm. of other factors in there, but, but right. it's just one single example. Right. So I think you can find that though across different commodities. Okay, so but what we're going to do, we're going to piece together lots of moving parts here, and, yeah. and you've got to consider all of these con exactly, concurrently, yeah. okay? So you've sort of talked about project stage. Yeah. So if there's anything more you want to say, we, you, can, you can sprinkle it in later. But I want to talk about jurisdiction. Yeah. It kind of comes to the point we made earlier with regards to you know where your nickel project is. Um, some countries are better than others. You know, we've got, you, you're dealing with in Southeast Asia, Indonesia. Um, you've got the, you know, some Canadian plays, you've got you know, Russians. There's, there's a lot of big players out there. Why is jurisdiction specifically important to nickel? 
Well, let's look at like um, Cuba. Okay, so Sherit, mm -hmm. which is you know an important producer of nickel, mm -hmm. fundamentally has a problem where a lot of investors are not allowed to invest in that company mm -hmm. because they're U.S. Yeah. or because the fund has U.S. investors. Yeah. So then you have a problem with Cuba, even though great mine, great asset, right? Yeah. Uh, Russia, maybe you don't have restrictions, but at the same time, people have perceptions about Russia. Yeah. And so and so like when you kind of go around, you know, clearly the best nickel assets to invest in would either be in Australia or Canada from the perspective of the market. Right. But, you know, there are interesting things in Africa as well, like this this project, uh, I think it's Sama Resources, right? It's right. potentially a large discovery in West Africa, but it, I think it doesn't get as much credit as it would in... It, Not in, heard of them. Yeah, exactly. In the right. TSA, or excuse me, in Canada or Australia because of its location. So, uh, it, look, you know, investors over the years have had bad experiences in Africa uh, and, and certain countries. And so it just makes sense, just like in gold, if that asset is sitting in Canada, it's going to have a higher multiple than if yeah. it's sitting in somewhere in Africa generally. It's interesting. So that, that's in West Africa, so yeah. somewhere. Okay, fine. I think Robert Friedland invested a bunch of money in it. Um, his technology is on it. Yeah, but I mean, it's an interesting story because it's potentially huge, right? It's just yeah. one example of a name where if that same asset was sitting in a different jurisdiction, you yeah. know, it would have probably a materially higher market cap. Well, absolutely. I mean, we. I mean, talk, talking of things that affect, you know, different jurisdictional plays, you know, we, we had a contributor send in a piece about what's happening in West Africa at the moment. And I wish more companies would respond to this, um, to, to these sorts of articles where, you know, there's, there's a bunch of sort of terrorist activity happening in you know, places like Burkina Faso and you know, southern Mali and, you know, Liberia and so, so forth. And the companies are choosing to ignore these things. And we've had a few phone calls for allowing someone to publish on our site talking about these negative things. Um, but I think it's a great moment for the companies to come on and talk to us and say, well, actually, it's fine. This is going on, which is not good, but it's business as usual for us. It's not going to affect our operations. But rather than bury their heads in the sand and, and uh, try and get their PR people to tell us we shouldn't be having these conversations. So jurisdiction is important. I, I, I think, because you know, we've set, definitely been caught out, we've definitely lost money um, you know, investing in the wrong jurisdiction and these kind of safer plays or more relevant plays for nickel, um, well, ho hopefully, hopefully they, will, they will work out for your company. You talk about you know, Indonesia. P&G. P&G, yeah. is it? P oh, Papua New Guinea, so oh, yeah. apologies. I think. So no, 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 but yeah. I mean same general region, so. Okay, um, so I mean, I mean, how's, how's it doing business there, for instance? I mean, something you must know yeah, about Yeah, I mean, right we're, now, very, right? for, we're very fortunate in, yeah. in that because MCC, which is a very large mm. company, mm -hmm. uh, is operating the mine. Yeah. So I think we're fortunate just because um, they, we don't have to deal with you know, a lot of the data. We don't deal with any of the data today, in fact. We're not the operators, right. so we're just a joint venture interest holder. Right. Uh, and because they're such a big company, I think that, you know, uh, they're able to navigate, but it's not without it's not without its headaches, right? I think that's mm. true of anywhere, though, and you can experience that in the U.S. and Canada as well. So that's it comes back to your, you know, invest in royalty. It's it's investing in mining without the mining risk. Exactly, exactly. So you love it. So your job's a lot easier, is it? Well, it's definitely easier than building a mine. I can tell you. Right. <laughs> that would be tough. Right. Um, we talk about you talk about project types. You 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 know, kind of you get into a lot of detail about this. I mean. What do, you, what do you mean by project type? Is, is coming back to the nickel? Yeah, so, the, and so yeah, forth. there's kind of. I mean, look, there's a you know, some geologist comes on here, they can criticize and say, well, there's really twenty types, but basically there are two types. 
intercostalified mm. and the laterate. Those, mm-hmm. those are two of the primary ore yep. bodies that we talk about. The laterate ore bodies have the HPAL process, um, which is very hard to get right, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly has a history of, of massive cost overruns. Mm. Uh, sulfide has always been preferred until the HPAL technology come, came along, but yep. what you're facing today is the known nickel sulfide ore bodies tend to be lower grade. Right. And so it just means you have to process more ore and the CapEx, you know, I, I can't think of a project with under a billion dollar CapEx. I'm sure there's some small project somewhere, but mm. but by and large, once again, talking about a billion to a billion five, and the market's just not ready to fund that. There's just no actual money to fund a project like that, which is kind of what makes nickel interesting because um, there are known projects out there. Mm. Uh, you know, Dumont being one of the fully permitted ones, for yep. instance. Got scale. But, you know, it's probably one, five to two billion dollars and no one's sticking their hand up. And if you stick your hand up right now today, it's probably, you know, four years from commercial, five years from commercial production. Three if you're listening to them. Yeah. Well, whatever. But like in whatever. practice, right? It's, 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 a, it's a long time. It's a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. I, I, I get it. And that's where, those are very difficult conversations with the price as it is today. Most certainly. What do you think the price needs to get back up to before? Or and how long does that need to sustain for before you get funders saying, actually, one and a half billion bucks? Or consortium of funders think, okay, one and a half billion bucks. Now's the time to move. So my experience right now is that... that um, it's really Chinese money. I mean, even 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 when that move starts to happen, you mm. know, what I see is interest coming out of China, and I don't yeah. think that's bad. I think that shows a commitment to electric vehicles and a realization about what's happening with with EV adoption. Yeah. So even even when we move past where we're Indonesia, which is kind of where a lot of that investment that you referred to earlier is going, yeah, I I actually think uh, inside of Africa. And, you know, elsewhere, um, you're going to see Chinese investment as well. So it's not going to be just like isolated into Indonesia. It's going to be kind of globally. And I mean, Europe are building these large gigafactories for this EV revolution. They want to be in control of many, as many of the moving parts as possible. And you've got a lot of the European automotive manufacturers funding these bills. And we look at their budgets, their forecast budgets, you know, they're in, you know, tens of billions of dollars. But you're saying at, at a, at a, Basic level, the Chinese, the ones that are going to be funding these mines into production in this EV revolution, because we you know we hear the same story in, in, in copper. We hear the same story with the lithium. It's the chest. real story. It's a real it's story. It's like it's. And it's say, okay, I get it's the same story. It's like we're 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 going to do this. We're going to do this. But the money isn't seemingly available from the West, and everyone's looking to China like they used to to be able to get these things done. Do you think that Chinese are going to take a grip on? the speed at which this EV revolution is allowed to move? And will it be to their drumbeat? Well, certainly I think what they've done is they've set environmental policy, which is actually right. pretty spectacular. Like they're leading the world in environmental policy as it pertains to the adoption of the electric vehicle. Right. And if you think about the automobile industry, you know, China really failed at creating an automobile industry in China. They might create parts, they might create certain mm. brands, but mm. really, you know, the US, Korea, Japan, Europe, Germany, you know, they kind of held the grip. Mm. And I think they're saying, guys, the gig's up. And what they're doing is they're not going to sell you a battery. Mm. They're going to sell you a car. And I, I actually think if we fast forward 10 or ten years, let's say, mm. and you look out in London, you're going to be buying a Chinese car. Now, it might not be called a Chinese car. It still might be called Ford. Well, that's my. That's where I was going. I thought, yeah, I, I thought you were they, going somewhere else. Yeah, but they own these brands now. They're, they, they're going to. Like, they're yeah. they're going to own these brands. And so they're going to be vertically integrated. Yeah. And so you're going to have a loss of Detroit in like the traditional sense, like the automobile industry is going to be yeah. lost. And 
The reason is because, you know, if you're a Western investor, you know, what was the S&P up last year? 30%, something crazy, yeah, right? it's nuts. It, it, this year, what's Tesla up? I mean, the market's on fire, all-time highs a couple of days ago, right? Yeah. So why are you going to invest in this tiny little sector? In fact, two days ago, like last, last week, you had all-time highs in every single sector in the S&P except for mining and energy. Right. So, you know, if you're an investor, you're not going to allocate to the sector. So you get no money from the West because, yeah. you're, you know, you're kind of year-to-year, 12-month compensation or, or you're passive and you can't choose. And then in China, you've got this low cost of capital and you're trying to build an industry. Like, it's, 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 it's kind it's, of inevitable. It's kind of inevitable that's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not worried about quantitative easing in, in the US. I mean, there's a lot of borrowing going on to generate this growth. You know, well, yeah, and we had a lot of commentary before Christmas about this. You know, there will be a, a, a moment where the market just implodes. Look, not, I'm, not, not a buyer. I'm not a gold company wearing like my tin hat here. I mean, you, <laughs> like, I think you should interview someone wearing like a tinfoil hat and a gold bug. But um, I do, I do think for the for maybe, you know, maybe this is one of the most interesting moments for gold in a long time because you do have all these random effects. But when you're talking about governments, the one thing I will say is their ability to carry the trade to kick the can down the road is probably longer than we think. I mean, there are these scary facts, like yeah. by and large, the Russians have sold US treasuries. The Chinese aren't buying treasuries, they're letting them roll off. Yeah. But like, it's hard to say that's hap- some like doomsday scenarios happening next week. Okay. Like, I-, I think that the world can't have the reserve currency, namely the, you know, you can export inflation, right. but you can't have the reserve currency fail because you failed too. So like, we can have this conversation in 10 or 15 years when there's maybe more than one reserve currency. Yeah. But you know, should there be a recession? Could there be a recession after a 10-year bull market? Sure. Yes. Always. Like, like, you know, are we going to have like mass panic and civil? Like, no, like that's not happening, I don't think. Right. Let me ask you about management. Okay. If you're a royalty company, people must approach you all the time. They're asking for money, your money, and you have to do diligence on them, right? So you get to meet a lot of management teams, specifically nickel. If we can stay on nickel, what are you seeing out there? Are there lots of good teams? Nickel's an easy thing to mine, get into production, get into market, or do you see only a handful of people capable of actually bringing anything to market? Well, it's kind of extremes, right? Like yeah. on the one hand, you have like, you know, independence and Peter, Peter had like this great company. Mm. So like, what do they need, right? They don't need anything really, right? They just sure. kind of keep taking on. Right. And there aren't that many small nickel projects left that are potentially fundable. I mean. You know, Dumont would be an example, but it's stuck with Waterton, and I think RNC may have the operatorship, but the reality is they don't have any control. That's yeah. all. So, so the question for Waterton is like, are they going to do anything this cycle, or maybe mm. it's so irrelevant to their portfolio that they're focused on gold? Right. I don't know the answer to that, right? But, but it's a great asset that could be moved forward. But so, talk to me about the management team. I want to know what are you looking for when you when you talk to these guys? Is it all about the asset? It'll be fun because given that you sit, you just said a second ago, I, we, you know, we, we sit back, the management teams run these things. So what are you looking I, I, for? I actually find that, that there's this weird Darwinian thing, which is generally okay. good management teams end up with good assets. Well, yeah. Or it ends up that way eventually, right? right? So right. Like, like, I can't tell you like where, what is a world-class asset being run by buffoons. Like I, I'm sure there's examples. And I don't want you to name names, but I'm saying like, you know, what are, what do they need to know? What what what, what gives you, know, you comfort? You know, I think I think um, a team in particular for nickel that understands the technology right. around that deposit because it's complex, right? right? Right, especially you know, like okay, are you, is it a sulfide? What is that going to look like? What's the process? What's the flow sheet going to look like? Right. Uh, in the face, by the way, of 
of not only all the HPAL things we talked about, but mm. in the face now of Namaska, where yep. you know they raised a billion dollars, they got the flow sheet wrong, or at least the capex wrong related to the refinery. It's a mess. So I think if you're going to do a royalty, you have to believe it can be built. Right. And so that means you got to have sufficient like technical knowledge in house to believe that that group can build it. But I, I would tell you, I don't really think. Uh, at least off the top of my head, I can't think of a project out there that's actually going to get built by a junior company. Right. It's a $1.5 billion capex. What happens is they're going to bring it up to feasibility. Yeah. They're going to get it ready with partners. And then, you know, in one form or another, they're going to hand over that operatorship to someone who's actually able to build, the, build it, right? Like, right. So what are the red flags then? You're saying, right, okay, if someone's telling, a junior company's saying, I'm going to get this thing into production, you're going to, you're going to call BS on that. You can just look at the project and know. I mean, if you if well, we don't know. Like, like you're the expert. Some of the um, the micro micro cap, massive disseminated laterite low grade ore bodies. You look at that. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't invest. Because to be clear, if it has a six million dollar market cap today, yeah. And uranium was a great example of this, and nickel triples. Well, that six million market cap company trades as an option. Yeah. So, so it may well trade at 150 million market cap through the cycle. Right. So that doesn't mean you shouldn't own it. But that's right. different than as a royalty company thinking about whether or not you want to give them money to invest. Right. Right. Okay. So, so good point. By that. So I want to talk about and for, for people watching this and for people, and, and me, you know, going, you know, how to identify having spoken to the management team or asking what what should I be asking the management team to give me the clues to allow me to okay. make an investment so, 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 so I would ask myself first like what is my risk tolerance mm -hmm. like am I delving into the speculative right because if if you're going really speculative you know you know Mark Selby for instance sure. okay so Mark I understand in the next two weeks or sometime very soon Mark is going to have yeah. a publicly traded company yeah. with Nick Lasset and that's an exploration play yeah now Look, if he makes that discovery, that's going to go up. Now, if, if he doesn't, by the way, it's going to crash. Yeah. So that's one type of investment. Yeah. Uh, buying independence is really just going to be a function of cash flow and earnings relative to the price of nickel. Yeah. Now, nickel has a whole bunch of projects in between, like Turnigan. Uh, I think uh, I can't think of There's a handful of them in Australia. I've just right. blanked a couple of their names. And they're going to fit somewhere in between on the spectrum. And what you have to ask yourself is, when I look at that ore body type, do I think that there is a shot of that getting built in the cycle? Okay, let me, let me another scenario for you here, okay? You're going to say buy nickel all day long. Lots of different options in nickel, as you should. But if I'm a high risk tolerant, I'm, I've got some throwaway money here. Don't mind, don't mind if I lose it. What are the type, don't need to name names, what are the types of nickel companies I should be looking at? Okay. And I'm going to ask you the same in a second if I've got low risk tolerance. So if you're high risk, I would look at uh, really large ore bodies right. that that will trade as options and they will happen. When, whenever, at whatever, some point they will happen. Whatever that like, Buy them, put them in your drawer, yeah, done. And, and right. by the way, okay. with, However, they, you should think about it in terms of an option value like theta. In other words, time decay. Yeah. You should, you should think. You should actually literally think about that as an option. So you buy fifty thousand dollars today. Yeah. By the way, if the time horizon is five years, it's probably going to zero because they're going to raise money three times. Right. But by the way, it, just like an option, if it happens in the next twenty-four months, you might do 
X times your money. Right. So I think about that as an option. So that's that's, that's nice. That's time. a nice clue. That's nice. I like that. Okay. Another one is I look. I uh, bad for better or worse, like death or glory. I like to have a little bit of money invested in exploration play. Like you know, when Mark's thing comes out, just for fun, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll no, I agree. Play, I agree. Right. But but that's very binary. Mm. You know, you can only twin a director's whole. Yeah, we're not betting the house. Right. right. But it's it's worth putting something on that because I think exactly. it's, it so looks... Exactly. Th- those are the high-risk ones, right? Right, okay. But but personally, my biggest nickel positions, you know, besides like the company I'm the chairman of, yeah. are these large option plays where I look at them as time decay, theta, because I think that it's going to happen sooner than, the, than that thing gets diluted down because of capital yeah. raises. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that, that's how I would look at it. It's very risky. And I think you leg in unless the thing has no market cap as it is. Yeah, we were we were talking about a, a gold company in the same position before yeah. we kicked off the interview. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, okay, and so that that's your, that's your kind of low low risk scenario, or indeed invest in a company like yours, which dishes out dividends. Well, I'm paying you dividends. That's my point. You had a free cash flow. Right. right now, so. Okay. So when's that coming? You know, I, I think so. The way that Conic works is we have um, a loan sitting at the joint venture level that's yep. getting paid off with cash flow every month. Ramu's right. been producing for seven years. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first tranche of that is paid off in you know kind of fourteen to eighteen months, depending on nickel and cobalt price. Okay. And then um, once that's paid down, we'll start having free cash flow. Okay. So and d- d- dividends galore. Dividends galore. There will be no dividends between now and the cash, I can promise you. That's not, that's not happening. You've got to ask. You've got to ask. Um, this is one of which I love, which not a lot of retail guys discuss or really understand. And I get a lot of questions through on, on, on DM and email and um, through, through the social media, which is around capital structure. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's kind of my, my background. I kind of enjoy these kind of these structuring deals. Um, when that's the literally the first thing. Not, I know it's not the first thing we discussed today, but it's literally the first thing we look at before we walk into an investment uh, diligence process, which is how has this company structured itself from the beginning, and what has happened to it, its structure to this point, and and why. Again, it's one of one of one of the headings that you put in here because I know that, yeah, well, that I, you're, I, you're, a person, you're a personal pet peeve like I have this. is. I have a personal no debt before production unless it's part of that financing package. So like sometimes I see these junior companies that are five or ten years away from production with a convertible note. Yeah. This makes no sense to me. Especially the convertible. Right? You know, it's one thing if this is part of the package of money that puts you into production. That makes complete sense. That's what we yeah, we would say we talk about near term revenue. For us, if it was twelve months, we could Well if it's that five if you have a feasibility done and you're going into production. It should that should be part of your capital structure, right? right. Along probably with the streamer royalty, like that's right. kind of the new capital structure. Yeah. But if this junior mining company is like pre fee, I mean, I, you know, whatever the case is, but years away and yeah. it has data convertible now, like you're gonna get blown out. It's, like totally. show me time you don't get blown out. Like totally. I'm sure there's one, right? So uh, I, I think that's I think that's important. I also think one of the desperate moves that a lot of juniors make, just in general, is they give away the offtake way too early. And they give it years away. And the problem is, if you give the offtake away five years before production, then it actually really materially hinders, in a lot of cases, your ability to raise financing for production because uh, you know, the person who might fund you no longer can have the offtake. And so I think yeah. that's another one as well. I think you should leave the offtake unencumbered yeah. as long as you can. Great point. 
And if you're years away and it's encumbered, like to me, that's a big red flag. But a lot of, a lot of juniors, and we've spoken to quite a few recently, are talking about you know announcements of offtakes, you know, imminent. And, and we, we don't say anything, but we're looking at them and going, what terms could you possibly be empowered enough to negotiate now? You know, compared well, to down the line, it, it, reflects, it just reflects the capital market. There's no equity. There's very little equity. But they're, but, so they're, but they're looking for a catalyst, looking for a moment to say something to the market that oh, we, we've done this off-take agreement, and the, the terms of which are usually very, very, very vague. And, and if they are a bit more detailed, they're fairly one-sided. So, again, I, I like you. I'm not. I'm not a fan of it, um, and I'm even less of a fan when the CEO touts that as a being a moment for significant change in the company's fortunes. It's, so, it's so certainly not. like for graphite there might because that's a very unique market, but but for copper and nickel, uh, you know, I think it's a bit odd. And like uh, it doesn't make any sense because yeah. especially for a specialty market like a mixed hydroxide or or yeah. even like a lithium, you know. Yeah. It's such a specific product you're making mm. that like some offtake contract is going to basically refer to a specialized product, which you may or may not be able to make years down the road. Mm. So I think it's a false catalyst, and it's probably driven by the fact that, you know, in order to get uh, financing certain types of debt, you ultimately will need for bulk commodities in particular, but for a lot of places, you need a take or pay contract so yeah. that you know people can see that you can sell the material. Yeah, and I think. You know what? What it's happened is management teams have seen that be successful, yeah. and they started to draw that out way too early. So I think it's a nonsense. You, and what, what are your other pet peeves? I mean, for, for me, when people start talking about MOUs or non-binding contracts or those those sorts of things, but, which but are I, meant I, to I signify yeah, moments, I don't want to criticize. Every, you know, don't just criticize. You know, but it's part, part of the problem is, you know, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the management team. You're mm-hmm. doing the right thing. You know, you're generally playing by the rules, and literally no one cares. Like not, no one cares. Not only one of you, out of your, all your listener base, one person cares. And so you're, you're struggling to generate interest because you, know, you have a view on name your commodity. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's this pressure that gets put on the management team to manufacture a story. That's the moment that worries me most. When, 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 when we're having discussions, when they are manufacturing. That's, 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 that's mining right now. Everybody except for gold is having a moment. It's manufacturing a story. But it puts retail investors who, who perhaps haven't seen cycles or haven't seen these moments where these stories played out before puts their money at risk oh, for that's sure. the truth right well, you, you could so trick, you could trick someone into buying that's my point should, yeah right so i think that's unacceptable truly unacceptable and we you know when we see that you know we will call it out because it's it, it turns out to lying effectively or theft as far as i'm concerned it's a bit extreme but that's that's our that's our view and we've seen too many of it we see too many of these juniors put in difficult positions and make difficult decisions, make the wrong decisions with other people's money whilst they're being paid and a salary. A lot of times these employees, they have no meaning actually. Like if you, they're not binding on either party, it's just a nonsense. Right? It's a nonsense. So, so yeah, and, and your point is that, well, sometimes it gets people to buy the stock that shouldn't otherwise do it. And like, yeah. that's, a fair, that's a fair. Yeah, okay. Um, share register. That's another point you, you make here. Now, this is kind of interesting because there's, there's a sort of train of investment thought, which is if uh, you just basically invest in anything that Eric Sprott invests in. Well, that's, or, that's or, kind or, of the Canadian model, right? Now, right? So like, and that kind of works. Kind of works. So you right get now, in a bit you, late yeah. and you get out a bit late, but you've made a bit of money probably because the, that name, there's a few others, obviously. Um, there, you know, there are more options in the market than Eric. Um, those names going in signify to retail that this is this is going to work because Eric's money's gone in. Now, it's also worth noting that for Eric, some of this money is option money. They, you know, people like Eric, they've got 
hundreds of millions available to them, and this is option money. So if it works out, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter so much. It spread, spreads, spreads to the love. But it's, do you think that's a, quite a, a, a good investment strategy? Is that well, one you'd recommend? It, it certainly would have been successful over the last year yeah. with, with gold and some yeah. other stuff. Um, like, I don't think you should ever rely on someone else, you know? Mm. You should always decide, like, based on your situation, based yeah. on your views. Uh, so just blindly investing where Eric invests is probably not the best strategy because mm. eventually you know, it won't work out, I don't think. Um, mm. Just not criticizing him, but just saying like you should pick your own names. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I do think it's but telling. I do think it is. So, so historically, you know, you would, I would, this is a double-edged story, because historically you'd say, oh, like, is, is this big company, is this big fund in, is that big fund in? But, you know, what I've noticed is actually the stickiest money, interestingly, mm. is retail money. Yeah. You know, most of the money now in mining is, is pretty short term. I mean, setting aside some of the private equity money, which is expensive, mm. it's pretty it's pretty short term. And so uh, historically, whereas you'd always black rock in is, you know, yeah. whoever in. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure that's as much cachet, um, you know, becoming an institutional stock. I don't know if it carries as much weight as it once did. It, it has different effects for different companies, clearly. Um, well, what the meaning is, at one point, the institutional investor brought the big equity sure, in, right? Sure. And so you went from 100 million to a billion, and then you could raise the money to build the big mine. And now that's just not the case. I've seen too many variances, right? I've seen companies which have got big retail in, and it's helped with the liquidity, and it's all great. And I've seen other companies where the retail are going, pardon the phrase, batshit crazy, and it's 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 stalling the company yeah. because there's you know all sorts of rumors unfounded or misinformation or whatever so it diff, you know different horses for different courses i think just just look at that cliche. Serious, serious right now all right all right yeah, okay people so, are pretty worked up yes they are because it's their money and, and i kind of like the fact that people get impassioned because this is this is their money this is their hard-earned money that they've earned or been given or inherited or made or you know in some way so you know you know well done them and and part of this is entertainment value. I say to the guys, it's kind of like WWE, except, you know, without the fancy dresses here. But, you know, it's entertainment and there's money to be made. And I, I like that. And we, we, we have a lot of very passionate followers and subscribers. So, you know, I, I like that. But um, com coming back to the, the, the share register component here. So the, you're saying that the, the, mi the mix for you, you like the retail being involved more than the institutional, and, or is it, I, I like does it work it. for a comic? you know what else I actually like? Yeah. Is I actually like, does the CEO or the promoter, does the management hmm. actually own any of the stock? Yeah. Right, because it's like the classic, yeah. the, the classic Canadian thing is someone jams a deal together, yeah. whoever that person is sitting in the shadows, yeah. the thing goes, they sell their stock, and then yeah. they'll have a good life. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think uh, it's nice to see that the management has, you know, has stock in the company. Uh, because because you know, and it's not realistic in these big capex projects for them to own ten percent of it or something. Yeah. But at least if they have enough to make it meaningful for them, you know, like I like to. Okay, what are their options looking like? I mean, does it matter if it succeeds or fails? Yeah. If it doesn't matter, then like I don't know. Why should it matter to you? Yeah, and you know, again, God, there's a whole other discussion here because again, we, we we get people coming with lots lots of views. You know, where you know you got to pay for the best or you got to. You know, they've got a not well, not necessarily being a lifestyle environment. They've got to pay themselves enough to make their com family comfortable, allow them to concentrate on work, or you know, that you, you've got you've you've got to buy success 
um, you know, by paying these guys the best, incentivize them to work harder, or, or you know, hundreds of scenarios. I mean, personally, we don't like to see a big salary paid. We like you know options and success fees and all you know all of those things that you know you would you would hope. So if it works out, shareholders make money, they make money. It's all great, right? Um, so, it, but we we've we're, I think one of our guys is doing an article at the moment, t- top ten best excuses as to why they need to be paid so much, which and we've heard them all, you know, from from divorces to you know actually things didn't quite work out in the last company. I'm still paying down what I owe there, etc. etc. Et There's lots of reasons, but don't make it the shareholders' problem. Is 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 my view? Yeah, no, I, right? that's not different than they should. It, it, it should be set up such that they're incentivized to make it work. There you go. Because if, if they're not, if it's <coughs> just a wicket, then like, what do they care if it doesn't work? Right. Okay, they just go find a new wicket. So yep. I think however that is set up, and there's different ways, DSUs, RSUs, options, it can be set up a lot of ways. Yeah. But it, you should just be able to look at it and ask them, okay, like, what happens if this sells for 100% premium? You make any money? Yeah. Or whatever the numbers are in that particular situation. Yeah, okay. And, and I think, you know, it's probably one close to your heart, which is, you know, People should read the paperwork. You know, I would say to people, if you why get angry now? You should have read the paperwork before you put your money down. You know what you're getting into. If you don't know what you're getting into, don't invest. It's real simple. Don't put yourself in a position yeah, where you might I, get this. And I think on that point, I think yeah. a lot of times, um, especially in Canada, let's speak about Canada that's in the market I know really well. There's a huge amount of information available for retail shareholders. Totally. You know, it, what I would say is if, if the amount of money that you're putting into this name is going to impact your like mental health, right? If it's going to cause you stress if it goes to zero. Mm. So that's one thing if you know you're this rich guy and you buy ten grand of it and like who cares, right? If that's you, then don't worry about it. Yeah. But whatever that number is, when you get to that number, you know, go on go on CDAR, uh, SETI, sorry, SETI, you know, I agree. and download the AIF. Yep. Download those documents and just read it because I think what you find is most companies are actually fully disclosed. It's just, they totally, totally are. It's just that people don't read it. So I would just say if, if the amount of money that you've put into a stock matters matters to you, yeah. that could be one dollar, it could be a million dollars. If it yeah. matters to you, take the time to go on. It's all free. All disclosures free. Download it and, and read. Read about the management profiles because you know what you'll find is. Whatever is on the um, website is the best foot forward. Mm. But when you get into the disclosure documents, you might see there was a cease trade order in the last company, or you might see whatever, yeah. whatever, or you might see nothing. But the point is, if it matters enough to you that you're going to feel stressed if it goes wrong, yeah. then you should definitely read the paperwork. No, so we we found stuff in a story recently where we interviewed a CEO who got awfully upset. We dared to ask him about his remuneration package and how that was structured. Is this guy the guy that's going to sue you? If, if he's going to uh, sue yeah. my ass. <laughs> the guy's going to sue you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for reading the disclosure. That's, that's not happening. That's not happening. Um, but, you know, we, you know, we ask them some tough, tough questions, but it's all public information, and there's nothing, nothing you know, wrong, wrong with that. And, you know, I think last time we spoke, you know, we asked you some pretty tough questions about your remuneration after Cobalt 27. You answered them. It was, it was fine. Um, but the, the, that backs up the point. You... It's all publicly available. Yeah. So have a look. If, you, if it's going to irritate you, don't invest. There's lots of companies that will probably meet your criteria, but do, do, do the homework is guess what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So, okay. Hey, look, we got to go. All right. Thanks for coming to Thank London. You.
especially to see us yes. just for it to hand in the first draft. I appreciate that. As uh, we do some revision on I it. I literally what? can't wait for you to finish this on the plane on the way home. And uh, we'll, we, we'll look forward to publishing it. All right, well, thank you very much. Sharing your wisdom. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay, okay cheers. cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.